Anyway, Standard Oil and the Ethel Company are on the Gaslight, Gatekeep, Girl Boss yes. trend line, except yes. none of them are women. Um, <laughs> Midgley's bright idea for how he's going to convince the world that this is safe is that he's going to call a press conference and he pours TEL on his hands and wipes it off with a handkerchief and is like, look, not toxic. He sm- he puts it to his nose and smells it <laughs> for a straight minute. And he's like, I could do this. And then his hands fall off. <laughs> I could do this all day. <laughs> Apoptosis going mad, my liver's gonna fail. Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well, say you hate me, carbon date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made of stardust and chemistry. Of stardust and chemistry. Hello, and welcome to Cowboy Chemistry, where we talk about the wilder days of chemistry. We are back after an absence, but yeah, we're going to get right into it and not explain why I was gone. It's nobody's business. mystery. (laughs) And I will probably be gone again. We'll see. (laughs) Things happen, you know. Uh, But yeah, my name's Dylan Tharpy Rally, because I got married, and pronouns are they, them. I'm a PhD candidate at Texas Tech in chemistry, and my guest today is also our producer, Selena Martinez. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I just set the mic. <laughs> you want me to start over? No, that's okay. I'll cut it out. <laughs> Nobody will know. Pretend um, like I'm a professional. Yeah. I mean, you are a professional. I, just I mean, a clumsy professional. Yeah. Do you know what mass lead poisoning and the hole in the ozone layer have in common? Death. Yes, but also the compounds that cause both of those things, tri tetraethyl lead and freon, were both invented and patented by the same man. Cool. <laughs> so this man is like just having a great time making things that uh, kill people. Yeah, yeah. His name is Thomas Midgley Jr. And he has been described by Fred Pierce, who's a science writer, as a one-man environmental disaster. <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> so we're going to talk about his inventions and, yeah, and him and how he's a bad person. Bad boy Tom. I'm surprised he has not had an episode of Behind the Bastards. That's how... Not yet. Not Yeah, not yet. Or at least you I'm You need to write it in. That's it. why. Huh? You need to write it in. Maybe I will. I'll tap... You know, when I... <laughs> we'll tweet it. Tweet at him again. Yeah. Um, if he's still on Twitter or if he's jumped ship, I don't know. <laughs> I, he's still there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I've seen sure. him tweeting, I think, so. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Thomas Midgley Jr., he was born on May 18th of 1889 to Hattie Emerson and Thomas Midgley Sr. Um, also, Hattie is a cool name. I like that name. Yeah. Yeah. Is it short for something, or her name is just Hattie? Like, I think it's just Hattie. I didn't see, like, a... Like, she was born, and the mom was like, I don't know what to name the baby. And her husband's wearing a hat. She's like, Hattie, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah. Baby Hattie. I think it was a fairly common name, actually. I've seen other Hatties. Is that like a weird way to shorten Harriet or something? It might be a way to shorten Harriet, but like, it's like naming somebody, I don't know. Pansy? What? 
Pantsy, like hat pants with no, the Y. Okay. I was thinking like shirty. N- no. <laughs> I was not thinking articles okay. of clothing like That's what I was thinking. I was thinking of naming someone Sam instead of Samantha, like a shortening. Oh yeah, I guess. Like a real name. Sure. That's what I was a thinking. A nickname of. is a real name. Yeah. 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 Um that's the vibe it gives yeah, me. Like, but uh, I don't know. My my wife's sister's name is Britt. It's not Brittany. It's Britt. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No comment. <laughs> My in-laws are lovely well, little, people. Little did you know, they're named after Brit, like a Briton. Yeah, a Brit. Brit. She did go to Britain. Mm. I don't know if she did that because her name is Brit, but. Of course. She was drawn there. I think it was, so. It was a calling. Yeah. As her, uh, you know, <laughs> that's her homeland. I don't know. Much like that calling, our, our Thomas Midley Jr. had a calling to be an engineer slash inventor. His whole family were inventors. His uh, maternal grandfather, James uh, Emerson. I wrote Jamer, but his name was James. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's a typo, typo in this script. I think if um, I got that call, I would hang up. To be a, to be an inventor? Yeah. Why? To be like an engineer. It just sounds hard. I don't want to mm. do it. It sounds like too much work. That's fair, but this was the 1880s, and so like... So it's probably easier, because the things different. you invented were like shoelaces. Uh, I mean, yeah, so, like, his grandfather invented the the inverse tooth saw blade, which is, like, what we use now. Like, it's, like... Like, for dentists? No, like, for... So, the tooth is referring to, like, oh, the like teeth on, the, on okay. the thing. Okay. Um, and, like, the inverted tooth is, like, it goes, like, against the direction of the blade, so it, like, cuts better, I think is what it does. Okay. It, sure. like, digs into the wood better. Yeah. Like a like a saw with the little curve thing. Yeah. It's got like a little curved Barbie I got, I, saw I think blade. I understand. But yeah, his maternal grandfather invented that, which, cool, cool. That's useful. Yes. And not any more dangerous than a regular saw blade, I think. <laughs> you yeah. know? <laughs> I mean, I feel like once saws are in the equation, it's still going to be like a, you know, you got to be careful. Yeah. The but, saw. Yeah. He invented a saw, and then his father was in the car industry, and he was developing, like, tires for the car industry, which, again, this is, like, 1880s, 1890s, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, like, cutting edge. Right. Right. Like, it's not, like, working for a big car company now, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was, like, you know, big business. Because he's not working for, like, Ford. He's working for the idea of tires. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, I don't know. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know when vulcanization happened. There's, like, rubber. I don't know yeah. what part of the tire process he was at. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, some people literally had... Somebody literally had to develop the rubber for the tire yeah. first. And that was around this time-ish. Might be a little earlier, but... Yeah. He grew up in Columbus, Ohio. He went to Cornell University. So, fancy place. Uh, he graduated... His degree is actually in mechanical engineering. And he graduated in 1911. Okay. So he's not actually a chemist, but he keeps doing chemistry things. So that's why we're talking about him. Cool. After he graduated, he returned to Ohio. He took a job with the National Cash Register Company um, as a drafts person. So he was like drawing like the designs the for them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then him and his dad tried to open a tire company called the Mid. Midgley Tire and Rubber Company, um, but that failed in 1916. So he was like, he tried to do his own Midgley's business. not really a catchy name, so that's, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's why. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe their product was bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Didn't catch on. 
didn't catch on that one. He actually was already married with two children. I could not find much information about his wife or children, but you know, he's married with kids, so he needed to go find a job that made mm-hmm. money. <laughs> so he ends up working for this guy called Charles F. Kettering, who is an electrical engineer, and he just co-founded a research facility called the Dayton Engineering Laboratories Company, which I'm going to call Delco. Okay. And then Delco is like uh, kind of like a subsidiary of General Motors um, and also has some ties to the Wright brothers and early planes. Okay. Okay. Um, so this Kettering person has these connections, mm-hmm. right? And the goal of Delco was to solve one of the biggest problems of both of these industries, engine knocking. Do you know what engine knocking is? Uh, when your engine makes a knock sound? Yes, but... It's Nailed a, it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's caused by when the air-fuel mixture in a combustion engine isn't igniting at the right point, right? So, like, you know, air goes into your piston, the air mix, the fuel and air go into your piston, mm-hmm. the spark plug sparks it, it's supposed to push that piston up mm-hmm. and then back down, and that is how your engine starts to move. Okay. That's, like, very base level how it works. And so if you're... Air fuel mixture ignites at the wrong time, it's not in tune with where the engine needs it to be, right? Because it's all, there's four pistons and they're mm-hmm. all supposed to be working together in sync. Mm-hmm. And so if it fires at the wrong time, that causes that knocking sound and it also puts a ton of pressure on the engine because you're having an, an explosion either in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? right? So it can be nothing, like if it's like a small one, but sometimes it can be catastrophic Mm -hmm. and destroy your engine. So they have to be synchronized like Beyonce's backup dancers. Exactly. Okay. They have to be perfect. Otherwise they're getting fired because Beyonce will fire someone. Yeah. And I mean, it would result in a fire likely if it was bad enough. (laughs) So there you go. I think that's a perfect analogy. Absolutely. But yeah, so this is what Midgley gets like assigned when he starts working for Kettering. And he's testing all kinds of compounds to be what is generally going to be known as an anti-knocking agent. And whatever he used, it had to be mostly two things, cheap and effective, right? Mm -hmm. He just wants something that is plentiful, cheap, and effective. He tests, like, a ton of things. One of the things he tests is called iodine, um, which is fairly common, but it is pretty expensive. um, So that wasn't going to work. He also tested aniline and tellurium. Uh, and if you know anything about that, they smell like fish and rotten eggs, Which is not ideal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, especially when <laughs> the streets already smell pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, can you imagine if, if they were just like, you know what, delirium, let's just yeah. make the entire world smell like sulfur. Because weren't they already, like, throwing their urine and stuff in the street? I or mean, is this, like, a little bit later than that? I think it's later than that. I mean, then, yeah. But there's still, like, an, I mean, in big cities, there's still a lot of waste and trash in the street yeah like there is are there no... still horse-drawn car- horses yes. in the street yeah. yeah so it's gonna i mean with the horse poop and the and the egg the rotten egg smell nobody that's too much yeah this is like the very start of like ford and all of these yeah. motor companies and cars and planes gasoline already doesn't smell great right exactly um that was his big problem with most of the things he was trying was they were either too expensive or they smelled bad. Uh, he even tested regular old lead metal. Mm-hmm. So just he just put lead metal in there. 
um, which worked as an anti-knocking agent, but it also started to coat the inside of the engine and clogged it up, right? Because it's just metal. So it's just going to deposit and, like, stick to things. And then finally in 1921, he tests a a compound called tetraethylet. So it's got four little two-carbon units Mm -hmm. all attached to one lead atom. That's what it is. Um, It's actually first discovered in 1853 by a separate guy, a German chemist named Carl Jacob Lowing, or Luvig. And um, tetraethylet, I'm going to abbreviate as TEL. Okay. So TEL, tetraethylet. It is highly toxic. Super Great. duper toxic. Let's like, put it in the car. Yeah. No, the worst. Uh, it's also oil soluble and um, so it dissolves really great in gasoline, which is like good for his purposes. It's good for the car, but it's not good like if it's in the oil. Yeah. And the other, because like once you burn it, it's in the air. Yeah. Once it's in the air, it's in your lungs. And yeah. once it's in your lungs, it can get in your Death. blood. And because of how soluble it is, it can cross the blood-brain barrier, which is so great. It's so bad. (laughs) Okay. So I do have a question, though, about the... So it's lead with carbon on it. So the carbon Mm -hmm. acts as like a lubricant? Not exactly. So um, this is what would be called as an organometallic compound. So it's got a metal carbon bond in it. Right. What the carbon bonds, at least in this case, the biggest thing it's doing is making it oil soluble. Okay. So lead lead salts are water soluble, mm-hmm. typically, if they're a salt. So salts mm-hmm. are like lead acetate, lead nitrate, those kinds of mm-hmm. compounds um, are wa- really water soluble. Fun fact, they also taste sweet, some of them. Yeah, and so, but they're not oil soluble, right? Okay. They wouldn't be able to dissolve in gasoline. So that's what the carbon does. Yeah, so the carbon okay. is making it more oil soluble. That makes sense. Now, it, it works great as an anti-knocking agent. So it leads to higher octane ratings and increased fuel efficiency, all the things that car people love. Right. And it, and it's not like car people are really concerned about the environment or what it's going to do to human bodies. Oh, yeah. And especially not at this time. This no. is this is robber, robber baron era. Their whole thing is just like, make car go. Yeah. This is, we're talking about standard oil. Like, the, the people in, involved in this are standard oil, which is now ExxonMobil, um, General Motors... Um, DuPont, like all of these big, mm-hmm. big, big companies big are chemical. coming up. Big, big chemical, car. big car, big oil, mm-hmm. right? That's who's involved in this story. And Big Tom. Big Tom. <laughs> That's what we're going to, I don't know. It's Little Tom. He's a junior. Yeah, but if his dad is dead, now he's Big Tom. I don't know when his dad dies. What's his son's name? I don't know. What if his son is the third? Then he is Big Tom. He's Big Tom again. He's Big Tom again. He's Middle Tom. He is Middle Tom. He is Tom (laughs) from MySpace is who he is. (laughs) Starting something he doesn't even know about yet. Yeah, but Tom from MySpace was like a nice guy, wasn't he? Like he just like, he sold his company and then just went off. Yeah. And lived his life and stopped inventing things. He invented one good thing and then he called it good. He was like, that's enough. Yeah. Now he's not yelling on Twitter about. That's true. We need to have more kids. Trying to create a metaverse. Or, yeah, or crying, trying to create a metaverse or putting chips in people's heads. Okay. We'll, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll come up with a different uh, nickname for, for Tom. I got I to gotta get something out of this. I got to – I'll figure something out. Uh, okay. She also hates Tom. Mm-hmm. Tell us your opinions. Paige. She's actually our guest today. Um. 
if you don't speak dog, you don't know that she is cussing this man out. <laughs> she said, I'm going to have to bleep all of this out because she is just going off with a combination of curse words you have never even heard before. So for this invention, uh, Midgley wins his first chemical prize from the American Chemical Society, the William H. Nichols Medal for his work and mass manufacturing of TEL. And that started basically as soon as it's invented. Like 1923 is when they start producing it, I believe. Uh, He and Kettering started working with Standard Oil, and they would get 20% of the revenue from the gas sold in the U.S. So that's three cents of every gallon which doesn't sound like a lot, but that adds up to $36 million a year in 1922. Jesus. (laughs) And then that would increase 10 times in a decade and be in the billions in the 1950s. So this is big money. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1923, the Ethel Corporation was formed um, from General Motors and Standard Oil of New Jersey. So General Motors has the patent for using TEL as an anti-knock agency agent, mm-hmm. um, and Standard Oil has the patent for its manufacturing, right? Okay. So you need, they're like, okay, we'll work together. Right. We're going to form this other company that's just us, but like smaller, mm-hmm. and they just make That way they don't TEL. have to get out. They don't have to figure out how to get their own patents for their own things. Right, or, like, pay each other out for patents. They just are like, okay, we're just going to license our patents to this third company, and we'll put Kettering and them in charge of that, right? So that's what they're doing. Yeah, so basically each parent company had 50% stake in the new company, and then since neither company had any plant experience, right, you have a car company, you have an oil company, right? Mm -hmm. So they they get DuPont in on this to actually do the manufacturing they're like we don't know nothing about chemicals here dupont here's our facility you run it you train some people help us make tel (laughs) so now dupont's in there but they're not they're not an owner they're not but they are operating it Uh Uh, yeah so after and then you know a few years later the patents run out and then dupont starts manufacturing tel on its own and then you have dupont versus ethel making TEL, but that's years later and not really relevant. But like, it's like you had DuPont do it and then you have yeah. a competitor now. So in also in 1923, so 1923, they start manufacturing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but also in 1923, the health effects of this highly toxic compound became even more evident. Like we we've always known that lead is yeah. toxic. Literally all of modern history, ancient, you know, Roman antiquity, all through the Industrial Revolution, we have known that lead is bad. <laughs> Wait, but didn't we just stop putting lead in things like 30, like 40 years ago? Yes. But we've known it was bad the whole time. Yes. We were just like, it's fine. Yes. And just we don't will need get it. into why and okay, how great. this big has lead. happened. Uh, big lead. Big but- lead. <laughs> But yeah, like Romans knew, because uh, Romans used to put, like I was telling you, like lettuce sweet, right? So Romans used to sweeten their food and wine with lead. Um, and then they figured it out because people were getting gout They're and they like, were oh, maybe sterile. maybe we shouldn't do this though. And there was high infort- infant mortality rate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so like literally we always know. We always knew. We always knew it was bad. Um, but even in 1923, like let's say that they didn't know... That let these two guys didn't know about Roman lead and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was known, but like let's say these guys didn't know that. Uh, Midgley had a lab assistant named Carol ha- uh, Hockwalt. When 
Carol got ill in 1923. They gave him an x-ray. You could see the lead deposits in his bone marrow. <laughs> in his bone marrow? In his bone marrow. Jeez. So, like, yeah. And then Midgley even had to take a vacation to Miami to try to cure himself of his lead poisoning, which he knew was lead poisoning. How do you do that? How do you cure yourself of lead poisoning? You stop giving, you stop being around lead. So he just, like, goes to Miami to get some fresh air, basically. Um, And we also have, like, other ways to treat lead. But, like, Mm -hmm. this is also 1923. But, like, now we have a little bit better, Mm -hmm. but it's not, still not great. Um, Basically, now... We can give you these compounds that will bind some of the lead in your blood mm-hmm. um, and allow your body to, like, rid itself of it. So you Or would... there's, a, there's also the um, uh, magneto treatment, but it usually results in death. The magneto treatment? Is that real or you just... No, it's a reference to uh, an X-Men movie. I mean, I know I know who Magneto is, and I know that reference. So but... <laughs> but, like, in the movie, you remember he's like, you have too much lead in your body, and, like, pulls it out and the guy dies. And then he has these little metal balls. Oh, shit. Or is it, maybe it's iron. I don't, I thought it was the iron. I thought he was it's probably iron. iron. It's probably iron. Because I don't think lead is magnetic. But I think he can move all metals. That is a question. Like, is his powers actually magnets or is no, it No, it's not magnets. Metals? They just call it magnets because that's what was, I guess, common mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. I but mean, it's it moving sense. metals. Okay. Because like, he can, can also move the yeah. any metal, then it could be lead or iron. Yeah. Because uh um what's his name? Wolverine isn't a magnetic like what's in him isn't a magnetic metal. I have no idea because his metal's made up. <laughs> right. But like, I think it's like supposed to be based off of like platinum. Okay. So it's supposed it's supposed to be not magnetic yeah. and all that. Okay. But he can still like lift yes. him up and stuff. That's true. Okay. Okay. But um yeah, we also have a lot of iron in our body, but that's supposed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they see this these lead deposits in this guy's bone marrow. Midgley goes to Miami. Uh, he's like, I have found my... He has a quote from this time, too. I find that my lungs have... She hates X-Men. Mm-hmm. That's, she also hates the movies. She's like, a, she's a comic book reader, so she doesn't like when I bring up the movies. Page. But yeah, he has a quote from this time. I find that my lungs have been affected and that it is necessary to drop all work and get a large supply of fresh air. So he knew that it was the chemical causing him to be sick. But he just kept doing it? Yep. What's the reason? So, and it gets wilder. It literally gets wilder. Yeah, he gets warnings from a lot of, like, big-name scientists. There's Robert Wilson of MIT, Reed Hunt of Harvard... Yandel Henderson from Yale and Charles Krauss of the University of Potsdam in Germany. Like he is getting him and Kettering are getting letters and letters from people saying, are you insane? This is super toxic. (laughs) Please discontinue. Yeah. The Krauss guy specifically, he had worked on tetraethylead for many years and called it a creeping and malicious poison that had killed a member of his dissertation committee. Okay. Like... People knew this stuff was bad. And he just kept doing <laughs> and it. And he was just like, no. But fine. money, though. But money, though. Yeah. And so, you know, at the start of production, now they have, like, factory workers starting to work on this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mass producing it. Um, the new plant, within its first two months of production, started to have people getting visual disorders, hallucinations, and insanity. And they had five deaths within the first two months. And how long was this plant open? two years-ish, and then they closed it. 
So but then what's they five times twenty four? Like four hundred and something people. No, not quite. If that on many. average five people died. So like in the beginning, like five people died, and then they kind of gave more protections to the workers, mm-hmm. but not really. And so like it slowed down, but you still had more deaths. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, several workers had to be um, placed in mental institutions because they're having hallucin- active hallucinations. I don't know what you know about lead poisoning, but people can become very violent mm-hmm. when they have lead poisoning. Like they're agitated, they're upset. Uh, they often like will like start hitting themselves or other people. Um, yeah, I think there's an episode of Law and Order SVU about somebody who like was committing all these crimes because he had lead poisoning and brain damage. Yeah, no, that's a that's a yeah. whole thing, and there's like theories that people have for like levels of violence and mm-hmm. serial killers and lead poisoning and all those kinds of things. Because it's that's why we don't have serial killers anymore because none of us have lead poisoning. Well, we still got lead poisoning. At least I know I do. And How do you know? Because where'd you get it from? Because when the even when they phase out leaded gasoline, like the levels in children's blood is still above baseline. Any where level you, of lead is, is unsafe. Coming from? It's still in the air. It's in the oh, ground. Okay. It's everywhere. Cool. Yeah. It's it's great. Plus, you know, there's leaded paint. There's leaded. So if you yeah. live in a house that was built before 1978, it's probably got leaded paint. No, I've only lived in this house and then apartments that were like newer. I'm just saying, like, but yeah. anybody who's lived in a house right. before 1978, you've been exposed to lead, yeah. lead paint more likely than not. Plus piping. So like, I mean, um, What's that town where the piping gave them all lead poisoning? Flint? Yes. Flint, Michigan, right? They had, Mm -hmm. they changed their water source and they didn't properly treat their water. So the piping itself was leaching lead into their water. Cool. Yeah. Last I heard, they still don't have clean water. They've still been using, having to use bottled water for everything. So, but these workers were having a lot of symptoms. And again, hallucinations. They also had like a lot of hallucinations about bugs so like seeing imaginary winged insects and they even called um this factory like the butterfly factory because people would like literally be seeing like they were hallucinating bugs oh no yeah yeah and so when the first worker started you know died in the hospital um then started these investigations of like what is going on right Of course, Standard Oil officially had no comment at first, although one refinery supervisor later reported suffering from lead poisoning. He he said that these men probably went insane because they worked too hard. Yeah. That's why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Working too hard really causes hallucinations. The the radium girls, where they would all, like all the girls would go to the doctor and the doctor would basically be like, Oh, no, you're not suffering from radium poisoning. You're just, you have syphilis. Yep. That kind of stuff. Yeah. They were just Just lying. gaslighting them. Mm-hmm. For the gas companies. Literal gaslighting them. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then uh, another little nickname that TEL got was Looney Gas. They called it Looney Gas in the newspapers because everyone was. I feel like some people would do that on purpose, like recreationally. If you called it loony gas, that just makes it sound kind of fun. Okay, but it's like 1925, so like, you know, everything sounds like whimsical. That's true. <laughs> but it is not whimsical. Okay. That's when they had a, a fraudsters and tricksters. Yeah. Where it's like, you mean criminals? You mean thieves? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Every every everything in 1925 is like 
cartoonishly evil, not Mm -hmm. regular evil. Mm -hmm. This man included. I feel like he's a little cartoony evil. So, because, like, now, okay, they've got all these workers getting sick and very, like, shockingly sick, right? Mm -hmm. These psychological symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's giving giving PG&E is what it's giving. What's that? Um, PG&E. It's the... Did you ever watch Aaron Brockovich? Mm-mm. So it's the it's Pacific Gas and Electric, I think. Okay. It's based out of California. They had a like a chemical plant out in a is it called Hinkley, Hinkley, California? Maybe. That sounds familiar. But the chemical plant was leaching all kinds of toxins into the ground. But they just like denied it, denied it, denied it. They were like, No, nothing's wrong. No, you have you know, you might be predisposed to having uh cancer or whatever but like everybody in this town had like 18 different types of cancer even the kids oh yeah because like, the water was basically poisonous right but they just kept yeah and, and a lot of the um employees that worked in the plants would talk amongst themselves about like they would work cleaning up the pools or whatever mm-hmm. like or like trying to like clean the lining in the pools where they're supposed to be putting this toxic water they would have nosebleeds all day Oh, gosh. Like, a lot of them just basically dying working there. And the company was just like, no, nothing's happening. It's fine. Yep. But I do think that was the last time a group of people got a large settlement from a company. Because hmm. then they started, you know, lobbying the government uh, to be like, no, you can't sue us for murdering you. Yeah. It's giving like your children cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang. But yeah, it's very a very similar situation yeah. in that they were poisoning mass people and yeah, not just and not just their employees, but also just like people out in the world. Yes, exactly. Very similar situation. Um, I would say this is even. I feel like a lot of our episodes are accidentally behind the bastards episode. They really <laughs> of are. like companies. They really are. <laughs> uh, I need to do more happy. We have a few happy ones. Uh, yeah. Bertozzi is a fun one. Bertozzi is a fun one. The one we did with Rainy. Yeah. We've had some good ones. It's just sometimes they're like, oh, okay. And then they poisoned everyone. And they stole this country's entire resource and left them in ruin. I'm like, okay, well, that's less fun. This one ends happier, though, if that makes you feel any better. He dies? He does die. Good. Yeah. He dies dies young. I'm sure. Of lead poisoning? Not, uh, Not directly. Not directly. Yeah. So, they're, they're, anyway, Standard Oil and the Ethel Company are on, you know, the Gaslight, Gatekeep, Girl Boss. Yes. Trend line, except yes. none of them are women. Um, <laughs> Midgley's bright idea for how he's going to convince the world that this is safe is that he's going to call a press conference and he pours TEL on his hands and wipes it off with a handkerchief and is like, look, not toxic. He sm- he puts it to his nose and smells it <laughs> for a straight minute. And he's like, I could do this. And then his hands fall off. <laughs> I could do this all day. <laughs> the New York uh, World cited other reports that Midgley frequently bathed in TEL to prove its safety to skeptics within the industry. This man is desperate. Right? Like... You couldn't just invent, like, he probably could have invented something else that was actually helpful, or at least was more controlled. Yeah. And he was like, no, this one thing that I've made is perfect, and I don't have to work anymore. Except for when I have to wash my hands 
with this poisonous chemical. Yes. And, like, keep in mind, he knew how bad this was. Yeah. He had lead poisoning. Well, and it's also, like, he's doing that to himself. Yes. Which is, like, I guess that is a pretty good way to prove, to try to prove it's not poisonous, but, like, put it on your baby. Put it on your son. Hmm. I'll believe you. Because you wouldn't kill your own son, would you? I don't know. Thomas Midgley Jr. That's what I'm saying. wild. <laughs> Again, he he fully understood that this is what was happening, he, but he insisted that the fumes would have no such effect uh, if they were if the victims had only inhaled it for a short time. So Midgley was also insisting that these injuries were caused because the workers did not follow instructions. They were huffing it. Yeah, basically, he was accusing them of huffing it. Which, like, if you look at like how tetraethyl lead had to be synthesized, literally they it's had to like boil yeah. it and like open the hatch and like get big facefuls of this stuff. And it's like, not like all they had the good time. PPE. They had no yeah. PPE. PPE did not exist. They had a handkerchief that they did like this. They probably didn't even have that. <laughs> Let's be honest. Because, like, yeah. Because the other thing about T- TEL is that it's odorless. It doesn't mm-hmm. smell bad. It doesn't smell like anything. And it's colorless. So they might not have even really realized they were getting facefuls of this chemical. Right. Like, you know, like, at least if well, it's it not like most like people are going to understand anyway. Exactly. Like, they... They don't think about it. They're just like, I have to work. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if there's no indication that, that something's happening, especially right away, because that's the other thing is like lead poison's a little dis- delayed, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're not necessarily correlating. Oh, I got this exposure at work and now I'm sick, right? Mm-hmm. Like it'd be like a few days later that they would get sick, right? And so like they might not have even they wouldn't immediately even, yeah. put it together, like the workers themselves, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, but, like, the fact that he's trying to blame these workers just pissed me off even more. Like, you know it's this. You Mm -hmm. are sick from it. (laughs) You had the same symptoms. That's why you went to Miami. (laughs) Just a real bad liar. Yeah. Or a weirdly good one, because, (laughs) my God. It still worked. It still worked. (laughs) Yeah, and so in the 1920s, they had 17 workers for the Apple Corp. Ethyl Corporation, DuPont, and Standard Oil die from exposure to lead. So it was, like I said, it slowed down, but they still had 17 deaths. Yeah. And everyone who worked there definitely had lead poisoning. Mm-hmm. Including And Midgley. they all knew it. And they all knew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So despite this public relations effort, um, the New Jersey Labor Commission shut down that refinery in early 1924. So like, I, I guess like, that's, like less, that's about a year. They were open right. for like a year. And they were like, No. And then sales of leaded gasoline were banned in New York, Philadelphia, and New Jersey. Now, the Ethel Corporation still wanted to have a, a way to sell this stuff, right? You know, they're starting to become unpopular. These states and cities are banning it. Oh, and no, they're getting bad press for poisoning people? That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So unnecessary. Are <laughs> they canceling this company? This is cancel culture right here. Yeah. Canceled for <laughs> canceled for poisoning your employees and everyone who's ever come in contact with this chemical. Yeah, they they tried anyway. That's the true the, cancel the, culture. The New Jersey Labor Commission tried to cancel them. Mm-hmm. They did not. They did not do it because go woke, go broke. Go woke, go broke. They 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 doubled down and they they're looking for a new argument, a stronger uh-huh. argument for why you have to have lead in your gasoline. Like they're like. Okay, well, like, we know it's Why don't poison, they just say, like, the argument is, I I make my money off of this, and I need money, so do it. Yeah, I mean, 
basically that's the that's argument. That's the true argument. But plus, they were saying that there were no substitutes or alternative for leaded gasoline. They were saying there was nothing else you could use. Tetraethyl lead was the only sub, only mm-hmm. anti-knocking agent that worked. Which is a straight out lie. Right. A straight out lie. It was a straight out lie in 1924. It is a straight out lie forever. Like that is such a lie. But they just stick to it. Mm -hmm. And they just keep saying it. And then there was a public health service conference in Washington, D.C. in 1925. They had 100 industry and public health representatives there. All the Ethel Corporation said was that there is no alternative to leaded gasoline. They're like, you're stuck with it. There's nothing else that works. So you have to buy our leaded gasoline and poison the shit out of yourselves. (laughs) Yeah. Like, literally, that was their entire argument. And now we get to the hero and I've been so excited to tell you about her. The hero of this story. Taylor Swift. No. Her name Darn is it. Alice Hamilton. Okay. Uh, I love her. She's wonderful. She's an icon. She blows up the plant. She doesn't. But I would think she would think about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she is at this conference with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And at first she's like trying to basically be like y'all should just like think of something else you you guys are capable mm-hmm. of coming up with another thing that's not tetra at the lead right right like there is there is other things that you can try that will get rid of the knock right like y'all are you are all the people of industry you can't think of another thing besides mm-hmm. lead to put in our gasoline if you can dream it you can do it yeah she literally says there are thousands of things better than lead to put into gasoline mm-hmm. like she's just like anything of course it has to be a woman to come along and fix this problem yeah, and I mean, she doesn't really fix it, but she, like, But she motivates them. them to do it. No. But she says I, That's what I mean, things. like, she motivates them through the power of shame. She definitely shames them. She shames them so it works. hard. It works. So at one point, she is talking to uh, Kettering. In mm-hmm. Kettering, you know, because it's, it's Kettering. There's three guys that are kind of involved in this. Kettering, another guy named Boyd, and then our guy, Midgley. Mm-hmm. So she she's talking to Kettering, and... You know, says there's thousands of better things to put in gasoline than lead. Kettering just like condescendingly is like, you tell me one such thing and I'll give you three times, three times your year's salary. Bet. She responds with, I would never work for you. Nice. (laughs) And then later she just says, she, she says to him that, um, where is it? I wrote it down. Oh, yeah. She says in another hallway confrontation after the conf- and a break from the conference, you are nothing but a murderer. Just I love right her. to his face. I Call love her. She's, it's giving Katie Porter. It is. It is so good. I don't know what it ha- I don't know what else she does, but like iconic. She, I if there were whiteboards at this in this time period, she has a whiteboard and she's pulling that thing out. Absolutely. This is how many people you killed. Yes. Tell me why you did it. You had lead poisoning. That's why you yeah. went to my Miami. You see this? And she like draws a little stick figure. This is you. This is you in Miami. It's just like a stick figure with like a head that has like X's on the eyes and the tongue hanging out. See, that's you. You're sick. Isn't that a perfect drawing? Uh, but yeah. So I just want to point out that like what the alternative was at the time, mm-hmm. like the, the best known one was ethanol. Which is what we still have in it, right? Right. We have ethanol now, uh-huh. right? That that anti that's an anti knock agent that you can use, mm-hmm. and it was used. Uh, uh, you can put ten to twenty percent ethyl uh, ethanol in gasoline, mm-hmm. and it works just as well. And it just burns as tetra off. Tetra ethyl lead. Yeah, yeah. It burns off, and it doesn't leave like a residue, right? 
Right. It doesn't leave anything that's. It doesn't leave anything that is any more um, harmful than gasoline already is. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because it's still going to put off CO two. Mm-hmm. Right. So like it still does that, but. Like, it's not putting off anything that is going to poison people. That's going to be deposited into your blood and your bone marrow. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, that blend was used all over Europe and Latin America. It was advertised. People knew about it. There was even a 1915 children's book called The Future of Engineering. Sorry, it was called Modern Inventions. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to show you, like, the future of engineering. And so they showed alcohol motors and the fuel of the future in this children's book in 1915. (laughs) Like, people knew about it. They showed it in 1915. They had blimps and submarines and then ethanol fuel. Mm -hmm. People knew about it. Children knew about it. Everybody knew about it. (laughs) And over in America, we're still like, no, we want to put the lead in there. Oh, no, it's everywhere. Okay, to be clear, they're selling this leaded gasoline literally worldwide. It's not just us. Um, It was American companies, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like, okay, nobody wants our genetically modified tomatoes or whatever. <laughs> no, no, like they sell this worldwide. Every, okay. every, everywhere, eventually, like not quite right in the beginning, but eventually everywhere is u- using leaded gasoline. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and you will still find people like defending them saying that they did not know about any alternatives. And I'm like, but they themselves researched those alternatives. Right. They knew about ethanol. They had iodine. They had those other ones that stank. But like they knew other things worked. Right. There were well, other yeah, things like, you could use. Especially during, I mean, not especially during that time, but like during any time, I feel like science and mechanics and like all of these people tend to generally know what's being worked on throughout the world. Exactly. Like it's not they, like, oh, I had no idea that guy was making that. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you knew. Exactly. Like they, that's their competitors, yeah. right? They're keeping they an eye on them. Yeah. Especially a company like Standard Oil, they know all their competitors. They're the main person. Right. They're keeping an eye on any competitor to make sure that they're not getting too big. Yeah. Because, like, they're trying to have a monopoly here, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Like, they knew about it. Like, it's just wild. They're like, there's no alternative. Yeah. No, there is. Yeah. They just lied. It's straight up lied. And there will still be people who will be like, they didn't know about the alternatives. It's like, no. They knew. Mm -hmm. We have it written down in their own words that they knew about this stuff. (laughs) And they just wanted the money they were already making. Yeah. But you can sell more gasoline because more companies are going to buy it if it's not murdering everyone. Yeah. Like, also, like, why not ethanol? Why was ethanol not on the table? I don't understand that. We like ethanol. Ethanol is fine. Ethanol is fine. But yeah, so leaded gasoline was sold in the United States for decades until the 1970 Clean Air Act. Great. Yep. Now, this did And if not- the Republicans have their way, they will put the lead back in gasoline. They still won't. We can at least guarantee that because <laughs> the 1970 Clean Air Act actually does not outlaw leaded gasoline. Oh. What it outlaws or, like, limits is the emission of carbon monoxide, nitrogen oxides, and other hydrocarbons from incomplete combustion in engines. Okay. Right? So... Carbon monoxide's bad. Nitrogen oxide's bad. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that are bad for the environment, bad for us. Right. Lead's also bad for us. But this this particular act did not do that. But because of this act, they had to start putting catalytic converters into vehicles to limit those emissions of those oh, other gases. Okay. Catalytic converters work because there's a little plate of platinum in your catalytic converter. And that's where the lead would right. go? Yeah, the lead would deposit on the plate, uh, onto those catalyst, onto that catalyst, that platinum, and then 
uh, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Then you'd have the same emissions as before, right? Mm-hmm. It kills the catalytic converter. Right. So they're like, oh, well, if we have to do these catalytic converters, we need to stop putting lead in gasoline. Yeah. So that's what is actually limiting, starts to limit how much ga- uh, lead is in oh. gas. Not any direct influence from laws. Like, mm-hmm. it's like this indirect thing. It's because the industry changed. It's because the industry changed. Yeah. They, you know, there was some other thing that Not they had to do. Not because the U.S. government actually cares about protecting human life. Well, Yeah. <laughs> Just like a byproduct. Um, but yeah, leaded gasoline itself is not entirely outlawed until the Clean Air Act of 1996. Mm-hmm. So that's when they actually like outlaw it. So now it is actually outlawed, but they still won't put lead back in gasoline because of the catalytic converters. Mm-hmm. Also, there was some changes to um, the combustion engine that makes it less likely to knock to begin with. Like they've made them out of better materials mm-hmm. and like we know more about engines now. Yeah. So like there's no real need for like real anti-knocking like like yeah like we have better shit now right worldwide japan was the first country to ban leaded gasoline in 1986 Mm -hmm. the eu and the uk and the uk uh phased out their leaded gas by the year 2000 and by 2014 there were only six countries left that still use it used leaded gasoline um that was algeria iraq yemen uh, myanmar and north korea and afghanistan but now, um, all uh, leaded gasoline is actually illegal. Production stopped in 2021. So Good. Took to 2021. But there are only like six so left, like, you know, and it's, it's... Almost 100 years. Yeah. About 100 years. Basically 100 years. We were like two years shy yeah. of 100 years. In 2011, there was a study backed by the United Nations that estimated the removal of TEL had resulted in $2.4 trillion in annual benefits and 1.2 million fewer premature deaths. Great. Which is great. That is great. That we is good news. We took it out. We took That's the positive. lead out of the gas. Great. Way to go, Alice. <laughs> she shamed them into fixing this. Yeah. She said, She said, Tommy boy, the lead pipes are calling. Cut it out. Take the lead out of the gas or I'm going to put lead <laughs> pipes in your knees. I don't know. I guess not She's in gonna your knees. She's going to bust somebody's <laughs> kneecaps off with a lead pipe um, and then make him eat the lead pipe. <laughs> Use it as a straw. <laughs> but yeah, of course that's He probably not... would have too, weirdo. Yeah, he would have. Maybe that's like, just his I kink. know this lead pipe is safe. I love it, but also... <laughs> we don't kink shame on this podcast, but also don't rub T-E-L on your hands. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Don't bathe Official in it. Official stance of the podcast. Don't, don't do bathe that. in T-E-L. Why? <laughs> Weird. That's just strange. Yeah. Like he said, pour it on his kid, and I was like, I, I feel like he would. He seems like a crazy <laughs> man. And he probably was crazy. Yeah. Because he kept putting that stuff on his body and into his person. Yeah. He probably was just crazy yeah. on top of being really greedy. Yeah. I don't know. Wild. But yes. But that's not the end of our boy Midgey's career. Okay. Oh, no. uh, after after leaded gasoline, it's still like 1925. Like I know I went through the whole like mm-hmm. how leaded gasoline came back out, but it's still 1925. He's invented leaded gasoline. He's making bank. He's mm-hmm. like, what's my next big thing? Having a great time. <laughs> so he goes into air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Right? So General Motors, of course, they make cars, but they also had uh, like another subsidiary called Frigidaire. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard that brand. And in the early days, refrigeration was super sketchy. Okay. Super duper sketchy. In the late 1920s, air conditioners and refrigeration systems employed stuff like ammonia, uh, chloroethane, 
uh, propane, methylformate, and sulfur dioxide as refrigerants. Those are super toxic. Like if you, like it'll kill people if you inhale it like directly, like mm-hmm. immediately you will die. You mean you don't like a little flavor of ammonia in your chicken salad? In your chicken salad? No. No. Touch um, of mustard, touch of ammonia. Yeah. Ammonia also stinks. Yeah. It's like fish. It's awful. Oh, put uh, it in your tuna salad then. It fits. Yeah, you might not notice. Um, But yeah, there was a lot of deaths from refrigerants in those early Mm -hmm. years. They're flammable. If they leaked into your house, you were dead. Like, there's stories Mm -hmm. of, like, families dying because their refrigerant leaked. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Midgley, at least in this one, like, he didn't, he was like, I'm gonna make this safer. Like, he at least, like, at this one seemed Uh like he had a good intention. He developed non-toxic, non-flammable gas, uh, dichloro-difluoromethane. Um, so it's methane, but with two chlorines and two fluorines on mm-hmm. it, um, instead of hydrogens. And this is known as Freon-12. You've probably heard I of Freon, that. right? I'm familiar. Yeah. So Freon-12 was the first of a class of compounds called chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs. And because Midgley really liked to inhale chemicals, he was shown this is freebasing Freon. <laughs> yeah, he inhaled Freon, just took a big old lung full of it and would blow out candles to show how safe it was. Is that safe? It is safe. Yeah, safe for you. Okay. It wouldn't hurt. It didn't hurt him. Didn't hurt other people. The gas was safe for people, Freon. more or less. It had Crazy a, a different effect that... Um, that's how you know in his heart he truly was a chemist. Because he just, no PPE, no protection, just rubbing chemicals on his body and freebasing chemical gases. I guess. I, I, I'm a chemist. I still wouldn't do that. <laughs> um. Don't, I mean, don't act like you've never worn sandals in the lab. I haven't worn sandals. <laughs> I won't say I've always worn closed-toed shoes, but I did. I do have. I, I'm not a saint. I'm not a monster. Occasionally a croc. I had. I did. Ha- I was like it was once, and the safety people were mad. But They're like, "Hey, don't do that." It was just for a second. Okay, Bring your toes it was just off. for a second. Uh-huh. Freon, you know, was ended up being everywhere. Right? It became like the number one in refrigerant in 1950. 80 to 90% of American households were using CFCs in their refrigerators. Mm -hmm. And by refrigerators, too, I mean, like, it was other stuff, too. Air conditioning, fire extinguishers, aerosol cans, aerosol can, like, uh, paint spray, Mm -hmm. spray paint, uh, hairspray, anything like that used uh, CFCs. And Midgley ended up winning the Perkin Medal for this work in 1937. Now, unlike leaded gasoline, no one at the time knew the dangers of Freon and what it was doing to the ozone layer. Great. Um, Do you know what the ozone layer is? I know it protects us. From what? UV rays. Yes. Um, So there's, There's a hole in it or there are holes? So there is a thinning. Okay. But they call it a hole. So like um, in... In the spring, there becomes a extra thin layer of ozone over the Antarctic because of, like, the polar... You've probably heard of, like, the polar vortex and all that kind of stuff. Well, because of the polar vortex and how the winds are moving, um, it thins out the ozone layer over the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly a hole. Like, it's not, like, a big gaping hole, but right. it is, like, very thin there during the spring of the Antarctic. Okay. Which is, like, the winter for us. Okay. Yeah, but ozone itself is a molecule that is three oxygen atoms bonded together. 
So usually oxygen is two oxygens, ozone is three oxygens. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it protects the earth from UV radiation. It also, fun fact, has a distinct smell that smells like chlorine. And you can detect it. Like people can smell it in as little as 0.1 parts per million in the air. So like you can smell ozone really. It's got a really sharp stint. Um, Why not sometimes people use... um I don't know what they're called. They're like some kind of ozone machine for like deodorizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they said like you're not really supposed to be around it when it's working. Like you're supposed to use it in like a closed space, mm-hmm. but you're not supposed to be in that space when it's working. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much ozone it puts out, but yeah, like ozone is a, is a strong oxidant is what yeah. it does. And so like oxidants are not good for you. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, I've never used a thing like that, but yeah, they exist. Um yeah, I would not. If it says not to be in the room with it, I would believe it. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, people use like, it It's for, not like you have to like turn it on and then run out of the room, but it's like you can't hang out. Yeah, don't hang running. out yeah. in there. It's like bug bombing or something. Yeah. You don't want to sit in there yeah. while your bug bomb's going off. So what we know now is that CFCs will react with ozone. Specifically, they make uh, chloride radicals that react with the ozone and turn ozone into oxygen gas, mm-hmm. which like oxygen gas isn't harmful. But that means there's less ozone to protect from UV radiation, right? So, and before I finish talking up about, like, the ozone and, like, how that concludes, because it is a happy ending, let's finish up our boy Midgley's life first. Old Tommy Leadpipe. (laughs) There you go. There you go. That's the (laughs) nickname. Yeah. In 1941, the American Chemical Society gave Midgley its highest award, the Priestley Medal. Um, and this was followed by the William Gibbs Award in 1942. So he gets these two big awards. He also gets two honorary degrees and is elected the United Very States nice. National Academy of Sciences. Um, and in 1944, he is also elected to be president and chairman of the American Chemical Society. So he's professionally doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think of like the Priestley Medal as the the precursor to the nobel prize like i would think he would he's being set up to be a nobel prize winner for his uh-huh. work with freon specifically and possibly i mean they might have given him for him for the leaded gas too i don't know i would think i would think they would leave that part out because yeah. like the freon was the less controversial invention at the time right? right but i don't know and like we don't know if he was ever considered for the nobel prize but mm-hmm. like usually if you win the Priestley medal like it's like a you're precursor. on the list. Yeah. You're on the list of people they're considering mm-hmm. for the Nobel Prize, right? Yeah. But in 1940, at the age of 51, Midgley contracts polio. Thank God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. Uh, but if you know anything about polio, it leaves people with paralysis and muscle weakness, mm-hmm. right? And like if you're really unlucky, you can't breathe. Yeah, end up in an iron lung. And you end up in an iron lung. Which there's still one Which guy who's he, living yeah. on an iron lung. But if if this man ends up in a, if old Tommy ends up in an iron lung, who's gonna rub chemicals on his hands? <laughs> oh, don't worry, he's got somebody that pours <laughs> that stuff in there. He, he hired someone specifically for the job. T-E-L bath, okay? He needs it, okay? He needs it. That's his emotional support, T-E-L. <laughs> but yeah, Midgley, ever the inventor, designs a series of pulleys and ropes to lift himself out of bed. So he's got, like, this contraption throughout his house to, like, scoot him around. Mm-hmm. It's very flubber. It is very flubber. Mm-hmm. It does feel very flubber. It all comes back around. <laughs> But four years later, in 1944, Midgley dies at the age of 55 in his home, um, the same year he is elected as the 
uh, president of the American Chemical Society. Because the official story is that he becomes entangled in his device and it strangles him to death. Like, it's an accident. Oh, jeez. Um, but privately, it was declared a suicide. Uh-huh. So, um, he is killed by his own invention. Probably on purpose. Like, Well, he's not the only person that was killed by his invention. Yeah. Yeah. Hoisted by his own petard. Is that the, <laughs> that's the saying, I think. I've never heard that one, but okay. I think it's a Shakespeare thing. Um, but being killed by your own invention, uh-huh. being killed by something you created or caused is considered hoisted by your own petard. Um, it reminds me of uh, in The Incredibles, where the bad guy has the cape and mm. he gets sucked into mm-hmm. the engine of his, I think it's his own plane. I don't think it's its own plane. But a plane. Yeah, a plane. Because yeah. that's why the one lady's like, no capes. No capes. Yeah. So he dies. At 55 Happy ending. In He's his dead. Home. Um, but it wouldn't be for three more decades that we would discover the effects of Freon. Great. So, yeah. When he dies, he thinks Freon is like a great invention. He's like, this is going great for me. I changed the world for the better. Mm-hmm. And I am a good person. No. Yeah. So we start measuring the ozone layer in 1957. Mm-hmm. In the early 1970s, researchers started to notice a decrease in the total amount of ozone in the stratosphere. And then in 1985, seven scientists in the Antarctic discover the even more troubling observation that is the ozone layer, the, or the ozone hole. How do they measure the ozone? I don't know. To be honest, I tried to is read one of those about their device. Things? I don't know. I don't. It's some kind of long uh, straw. No, I think it's like um, they use light. Okay. To measure things. Okay. I didn't. I didn't really read that far into how okay. they measure it because it was a little boring, and I <laughs> That's figured fine. no one else wanted. If I didn't want to hear about it, I figured <laughs> no one else did. That's not true. I'm sorry, ozone researchers. You do important is, and great things. It is just not what truly I truly like. life saving work. However, <laughs> yeah. Not um, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I just was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, do they, it's not like they go to space and take a ruler. How do they measure it? Yeah. No, they have some kind of observatory set up in the Antarctic. At least it, they set one up in the Antarctic. That's not where the original one is. But um, they set one up in the Antarctic and that's how they see the ozone, the hole in the ozone layer. Right. Yeah. And so again, it happens in the spring of Antarctic's, of Antarctica seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the ozone layer thins out a lot right there. Um, and so a lot more UVA and UVB rays is getting through the atmosphere. And again, the total amount of ozone is going down too. So that means the stratosphere everywhere, the ozone layer in the stratosphere everywhere is thinning. Right. Right. So bad stuff. And they weren't sure exactly what was causing it at first. They go back and forth. And then they actually do send up a plane to take an actual sample of the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plane gets captures the chlorine radical and that proves that cfc's is causing the depletion in the ozone layer because and then so chlorine too is a catalyst as well for depletion of the ozone so once chlorine is there it spends at least two years up there depleting ozone okay so like even if you cut off cfc emissions yeah yeah, like they were using a ton. Uh-huh. So even once you cut it off, like the it's still, it's still up, up there. there doing things. This again, this is a story with a happy ending. So in ni- even in the early reports in 1976 where they're like, they're still not even sure what's causing it, they think it's CFCs and so the US, Canada, Sweden, Denmark and Norway all start limiting CFCs. They mm-hmm. all start they come in your house and take a refrigerator. 
Well, they, they remove it from aerosol cans is what they do. Oh, okay. So hairspray, anything like that. They're taking the CFCs out of those because mm-hmm. those are things that are being manufactured. But the CFC and- is what really keeps gives you that nice, crispy hold. Yes. You have to leave it. There were a lot of people saying that hairspray <laughs> wasn't as good when they took the CFCs out. That's like a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, probably not. But yeah, it's like it's like a natural deodorant without the aluminum in it. It doesn't work as well. It just doesn't. Oh, my God. So I went to this presentation (laughs) about it it was about being like an entrepreneur is what Uh it was. Right. Like I was trying to do like business things and do I was doing a nonprofit. I was on a nonprofit track. Everyone else was basically doing. But a nonprofit is still like a business. Right. Exactly. Like it was it was meant to do that. You should have a business model. Yeah. And I almost won, too, but I got beat out by someone doing drones. And you know what? It was really cool. <laughs> You're, like, fair. Honestly, it was really cool. And they were, like, <laughs> going to be delivering medicines and stuff with drones oh. to rural areas. And, like, they had a bunch of experience. And, like, they had their they You're had like, their okay, stuff together. Fine. Yeah. Um, they did They did a great job. I just want to teach t- kids about chemicals. Yeah, I just want to teach kids about science. Uh, but yeah, they said if they had a second spot, they would have given it to me. And I'm like, Aww. thank you. That's very sweet. Um, yeah. It's good to be, it's nice to be recognized. Yeah. Uh, I might do the competition again. We'll see. Yeah. Because uh, they do it every year, but we'll see. Uh, oh, deodorant. That's what I was oh, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on the deodorant. The But one of the judges for the for-profit section was this lady who made deodorant. I'm not going to say her company because I bet she would sue me. She seemed like she would sue me. Okay. Uh, I don't think I've seen that one. It's it's in stores. It, okay. I have seen it before. It's in, it's in like targets and uh-huh. stuff. But yeah, she was talking about making her deodorant and like, and her eating it. Like, like when she first made it, she was making it in her kitchen out of stuff that she had in her kitchen uh-huh. and she ate it and she's like, oh, it doesn't taste very good. Don't eat your deodorant. But then later she was talking about the deodorants she sells now and she uh-huh. was like, we got an uh, an apricot vanilla flavor deodorant and that one's pretty good. And I'm like, does that mean you're still eating your deodorant? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you eating the deodorant? <laughs> What is with, like, scientists and inventors always tasting their products that they're not supposed to taste? Like, I know it looks like food and it smells like food. <laughs> but don't but eat it's it. it's not food. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you can eat it and it's safe, but also, like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Maybe right? every chemist has, like, some form of, what is it called? Pica? We all have pica? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Like, I don't know what it is, but I want to put it in my mouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know who has pica? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Geologists. Geologists really? have pica. Do you know I how many? That rock. They literally have to lick the rocks. Like, it is part Why? of geology labs. Why? Because then you could tell what, what something is. Like, it's like part of the classification. By tasting it? By tasting it. But some rocks you're what not allowed to lick. What rock? Well, so at least in their case, it's the lab, right? Okay. So like, but then part of me is like, okay, but like, but are multiple are multiple people licking, licking this rock? the same rock? Like, do you sanitize? That'd do be, you sanitize the rock? Wild case of herpes. <laughs> <laughs> or like mono? Yeah. Everyone in that class gets mono. <laughs> Everyone in the class gets mono and COVID because they're all licking the same rock. They're all licking the same rock. <sighs> but yeah, no, that. But yeah, geologists, I'm saying it right now, geologists, you got pica. <laughs> because it's part I'm of diagnosing your, you. I'm diagnosing you. I'm not qualified you to do that. You don't have pica. You can't be a geologist. <laughs> you have to be a biologist because you're not supposed to lick the monkey. The monkey lick you. <laughs> but yeah, so 1976, they... <laughs> the way you said it made it sound like a proverb. Yes. That was what I was it trying is. to do. <laughs> 
But yeah, they figure out CFCs. 1976, they get rid of uh, CFCs and aerosol cans in, in a few countries. In 1985, 20 nations sign what's called the Vienna Convention for the Protection of the Ozone Layer, which establishes a framework for international regulations on ozone-depleting substances. So it's going international. And then in 1987, representatives from 43 na- nations signed the Montreal Protocol, which further limit CFC production. So they just start putting a bunch of regulations on stuff. In the U.S., we actually shift... When are we going to get the protocol that says stop eating your deodorant protocol? That's what Uh, we need. Let's start lobbying. Let's start lobbying. Stop licking rocks protocol. There has to be another way. Okay, let them lick their rocks, okay? They, they, you know, like you said, we don't kink shame in this this podcast. There are two groups of people I will kink shame. Furries and people who lick rocks. (laughs) Not an official stance of the podcast, that just the official stance of me. Yes. Okay. That's fine. Um, but yeah, in the U.S., we actually switch away from CFCs faster than our European counterparts. Um, and this is actually because DuPont was probably worried that they were going to get sued because a bunch of people got more, like, the cases of skin cancer went up a bunch. Uh-oh. Right? And so if you link it to CFCs, yeah, they can, you can layer. sue... DuPont for uh-huh. causing your skin cancer, right? They were worried about that. But now, you can't. Because I mean, you DuPont still can. Yeah, but you're not going to win. You're not going to get money. You no. might still win. The limits are how much money yeah. they can get, get you can get out of them. But but yeah. DuPont's going to blame it on that one time in eighth grade when you went to the beach without sunscreen. <laughs> yeah. But isn't also sunscreen bad for the ocean? I don't know. It depends, probably depends on what kind of sunscreen you use because there's different kinds. I try to use... You know, the non-animal tested ones, the ones that are supposed to be, like, a little more safe. Mm. I don't know if they are. I also don't really think they work sometimes, but... Yeah. It's like, mirror the animals. I'm not sure. Yeah. I I don't know which kind you're talking about to know, but... there. So there's, like, some deodorants that are, like, based on zinc and stuff, mm-hmm. and those are fine. They've been used for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But then there's another kind. I forget. I forget. They're like, there's two kind. I think they're called like chemical and physical. And I don't really understand how they work and why they're just different. But mm-hmm. like one of them's worse than the other. <laughs> I don't know. Talk to a dermatologist. They'll tell you. <laughs> they will tell you everything about sunscreen. And I'm like, I don't really care to know. <laughs> just tell me which one I need to wear. Yeah. What? What? Uh, how often SPF do I need? To do apply? I need? I think the answer is 30. Like, you're supposed to wear 30 on a daily basis. Here in Lubbock, you probably need more. I just don't go outside. That works. I went to the pool the other day. I got sunburned. Yeah. I did put on de- I did put deodorant. I did put on. I did also put on. I, put, <laughs> I also I, put that on. I put sunscreen on, but I guess I was out there too long and, you know, because you have to reapply. Well, they say you're supposed to reapply, like, every couple hours or so or, like. Yeah. I think know. I was there for two hours, but, you know, I don't know. Well, if you get in the water and you get back out. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, so since there's been all this reduction of CFCs in the atmosphere, the the compounds that are causing this ozone depletion have slowly been declining, right? Because like, mm. again, they stick around for a really long time, but we are seeing them decline. So the substances um, peaked in 1994. Mm-hmm. So 1994, we had the most in there. And then ever since then, it has been, the ozone layer has been healing. Uh, as of 2016, it's still oh, healing. Oh, good. 2019, the ozone hole was the smallest it's been in the previous 30 years. That's good news. Yeah. So, like, because I remember when I was younger, like, there was a lot of talk of ozone layer. Yeah. Like, ozone layer, there's a hole in the ozone layer. Oh, my God. What's happening? You know? Yeah. I used to have, because my stepdad um, loves hairspray. 
Hmm. And I guess they weren't they weren't putting CFCs in the hairspray anymore. But I used to tell them like you're responsible for the hole in the ozone layer, <laughs> just because it was something that I had heard. Yeah, no, yeah, but I mean you're both right and wrong because they did like take CFCs out of hairspray yeah. by that time. But yeah, um, so at some point during my TV education, I heard something about hairspray and the ozone layer. Yeah, and I applied it to my stepdad. Yes, <laughs> and uh, newsflash, he still uses the same amount of hairspray. Hmm. Often his hair is. Uh, as hard as a helmet. Why? Why does he want that? I don't know. I never really thought to ask. Um, you know, it's just one of his things. When he does, his hair is very firm. Hmm. Crispy. I don't... I, I've always hated hairspray because of that feeling in my hair. Like, I don't know. It's some kind of sensory the problem crunch. with me that I just hate You it. don't like the crunch? I, I hate of it. Of your own hair? Of my own hair. Like, other people, it doesn't bother me. Uh-huh. When it's on my head, it bothers me. So I just can't understand why other people would ever want that. I don't know. Like, I he know- has the opposite issue. He doesn't want his hair. He doesn't like flyaways. Mm. He's very pretty. But he's also, like, from the 90s. You know? He's from the 90s? Like, his his... Uh, him as like a person, his personality from the nineties, mm, like Guy Fieri. Yeah, kind of, but like Mexican. We right. I didn't mean like he was guy like Guy Fieri, but Guy Fieri's also yeah. in the nineties. Yeah. But he's the white. I think sometimes yeah, when 90s. you're uh, when you've lived through so many eras, you kind of decide which one you're sticking with, mm. and then you kind of stay in that space mentally and also sometimes physically. Fair enough. Yeah, but that good story, good ending, right? Yes. Midgley dies. Midgley's dead. Of and strangulation. We took the lead out of the gas, and we took the Freon out of the everything. Good. We did a good job. And more Alice or less. did a great job. She girl bossed her mm-hmm. way into saving lives. Yeah. Honestly, even if she, it's Sometimes, really not directly her her doing, I'm giving she her helped. the credit. Yeah. I mean, it was iconic. Oh, hundred percent iconic. Uh, sometimes that, I would uh, never work for you. Like right. what a oh. Sometimes nagging and shade will save lives. <laughs> it's brilliant when your wife is nagging you to I don't know put on sunscreen or wear a hat outside or uh, you know cover your face when you're mowing the lawn because you're deathly allergic to grass. <laughs> it's to save your life. Yep. That last message was directly for my wife. That's <laughs> Your wife's allergic to grass? She's allergic to, to like, everything out there. Mm. Everything in this general area of Me the country. Too. Highly, highly allergic. Me too. Yeah. What is it about Lubbock that makes people awfully I think it's, allergic? It's, like, it's the wind, and because we're, like, right between um, a couple of different uh, environments. Mm. You know, like, right between basically desert and I don't know what you want to call East Texas, like hill country, like grass and trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. All the stuff gets carried directly to Lubbock somehow. Gross. I hate it. And then there's, of course, we're like in the middle of a bunch of different fields that mm-hmm. all use all kinds of pesticides. I think the pesticides have a lot to do with it, too. Hmm. Probably. Ugh. Thanks, DuPont. Thanks, DuPont. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still still out here pulling. Still wreaking havoc. But yeah. A legacy of destruction. Most people think, yeah, exactly. Most people think of Thomas Midgley Jr.'s legacy as one of a negative environmental impact. Uh, again, uh, J.R. McNeil stated that he had more adverse effect on the atmosphere than any other single organism <laughs> in Earth's history. 
Um, Bill Bryson remarked that he possessed an instinct for the regrettable that was almost uncanny. And again, Fred Pierce described him as a one-man environmental disaster. That is a read. Yeah. Um, Most people... Uh, or say, you know, most people think that about it, right? Mm-hmm. However, you will still find some people out there defending him, saying that he did not no. understand the environmental impacts of what he, he was doing. Knew it. And that might have been true of Freon, but he absolutely knew what he was doing with the lead, okay? He poisoned he knew, children he for decades. Him. For decades, be- knowingly, because, and he did not care, okay? Stop defending this man. <laughs> There's one of the He's sources. indefensible. One of the sources I have for this well, is. Well, people still defend Hitler, so people are always going to defend yeah. horrible people. But yeah, one of, one of the sources I have in today's thing is uh, is Happy Birthday, Mr. Midgley. Um, if you go to that, like, it is just entirely this guy going, I love Thomas Midgley Jr. He was great. He did such great things. He was such a good Weird. entrepreneur and inventor and engineer. And you can't blame him for not understanding what he did. And I'm like, I absolutely no, can because can. he did yes. know. I, I can, <laughs> I am, and I will. Yeah. And I will continue to do so until the end of time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just because he did it to himself does not mean he did not know what he was doing. Right. <laughs> so. Crazy. Like, not only did he see it, it happened to him. Well, rest in Freon, Tom. <laughs> That's the end. That's everything I have. But I just wanted to make that abundantly clear at the end. He <laughs> knowingly poisoned children with lead. He was a bad For money. person. He was a bad person. And because person. he's too stubborn to say, hey, I was wrong. Yeah. I wonder, that's got, that's like so many reasons. That's so many men. Like, they know the truth. They know that what they're doing is wrong or something they have done is wrong. Yeah. But they are just like, they refuse. It's the ego. Hmm. It's just that ego. This is when the co- the podcast turns from chemistry into uh, philosophy mm-hmm. um, and personality disorders. <laughs> a narcissist, that man. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what He's he was. He's a narcissist, ladies. Stay away. <laughs> I don't know if he was a narcissist. I'm Dump not. him. <laughs> Break up with him. That's a read <laughs> reference. The read. Do you listen to the read? That's another good I thought podcast. that was just something that women say. I mean, people say it, but, like, The Read is also a podcast. Um, oh, okay. Um, and they do read people on The Read. Yeah. That's not all they do, but yeah. It's pretty It's pretty wide, you know. I feel like it's got a wide reach, mm-hmm. the breakup with him. Yeah, but... Dump him. They, you know, I don't know if you've seen Ryan's sweatshirt that says breakup with him. Really? But that's that's The Read merch. Oh. Um, yeah. Speaking of merch, you can check us out on Patreon. <laughs> Plug. Yes. Patreon. We'll put the bleeped things on Patreon, maybe. No. Not the deodorant one. Not the deodorant one. We'll put the other, the one. other bleeps, including the dog the cussing. Other one. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll put, oof. She was going off. She was going off. Watch it not even picked up. That would be hilarious. The one time it doesn't pick up the sound of the dogs. But yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, Cowboy Chemistry outro music here <laughs> apoptosis going mad my liver's gonna fail maybe it's from the radium i use to paint my nails well say you hate me carbon date me throw me in the sea i'll be back with time because i'm made a stardust in chemistry a stardust in chemistry Mm-hmm.